The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. It's great to be back here. haven't been here for a while, so it's wonderful to uh, see the Sunday mornings. Always some changing faces, some old-timers, so it's great to be here. Um, what I'd like to talk about today is fear. Uh, one of the things that many of us realize on retreat, on a long retreat, is how much fear uh, runs us, often without us knowing it. Sometimes it's the normal neurotic fears that many of us have of, um, you know, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I, you know, am I going to do well on this? And fear of failure, all those uh, general um, type of fears, you know, fear of rejection that people tend to have. Um, uh, and, but there's also the deeper existential fears that as the mind settles down and, and those, that, those parts of the brain calm down uh, that arise and are basic fears of, of death and loss and uh, that nothing, uh, the realities of life, that nothing lasts, that everything we love and hold dear is going to be gone. And uh, to feel those fears, to be able to come to a place of peace uh, with the reality of, of, of the impermanence of this life, of the impermanence of everything that we hold, uh, is, is kind of the heart of this Buddhist practice. So first I want to start with what is fear? You know, fear is uh, an evolutionary uh, process that um, all animals share. And it's to protect ourselves. It's to avoid danger, to avoid pain. And any threat of this triggers some level of fear. If you're in a house and there's a fire, what happens? You know, you're in a dead sleep. You wake up like that, right? It doesn't matter how tired you are. You, you just get energized. All, the, all these hormones start flooding the body. They say oh, over 30 hormones get stimulated when you uh, enter uh, a fight-or-flight response. That's what it's called when the fear hits you and all this energy arises so you can get away. You can either get away or, or fight if there's something to fight. And what happens is your breath speeds up your heart starts racing, your eyes open, uh, to let more light in so you can see better, you get really hyper alert. And um, the, even the blood vessels on your skin um, contract so that the blood can stay in your main muscles. And that's why people get a chill sometimes from fear. And let's see if I forgot anything. Oh, and our blood sugar level goes up really quickly. You know, takes it out from the, from, uh, uh, and brings it into so you're, you get a lot of oxygen to your brain, your muscles have a lot of energy, and you're ready to go. The reaction lasts a very brief period. And then another part of the brain kicks in that can actually evaluate a little bit more quickly. Uh, yes, I'm running out of the fire, but oops, did I leave my kids behind? <laughs> you know, so, so the brain, uh, another function of the brain kicks in. So this is a really important, essential human reaction. You know, if your kid runs across the street in the middle of traffic, you can get really scared, and you'll, have, you'll be able to really move fast. You've heard of people who are able to lift a car? 
You know, a woman lifted a car because her kid was going to get trapped. And uh, that's a lot of adrenaline. So it's an incredibly strong, powerful, healthy reaction. The problem arises when we have um, chronic fears. <clears throat> uh, when the object we fear is prolonged, it's vague or pervasive, like financial problems, um, psychological insecurities, uh, worries. And what happens is that that same fear response that saves our asses normally now is, um, can be a detriment to us because what it does is it triggers those same hormones, maybe not as intensely, and it keeps them elevated time after time after time. The downside of those hormones is they shut down your digestive system, they shut down your immune system, and um, <clears throat> they also make it difficult to perform small tasks, which when you're running out of a burning building, you don't really care much about. But when you're trying to concentrate at work uh, or taking a test, it really get, gets you into trouble. In fact, that piece of what stress does to your ability to perform small tasks is one of the reasons that, that fear and stress can cause such a problem to people cramming for tests. The more you're cramming and you get you know, nervous and afraid, the more difficult it is to actually learn anything. You know, we, they actually have done studies to show that uh, cramming for tests the night before a test is absolutely one of the worst things you can do because you get less sleep, which is how you learn everything, is, is you learn it before and then it sinks in once you sleep on it. So people get really stressed, they don't learn well, and then they go take the test or they freeze during the test. I, um, I counseled someone once, she was, uh, um, she was trying to pass the bar and she had um, failed the bar five times. This was her sixth try. And what would happen, she would just sit there. She knew the material, but she would freeze. She would get so nervous. And, and the last time she took it, she said, I, I was perfect. I really concentrated on being calm. I did the whole first side and didn't realize there was a second side. <laughs> And so she finally, she was finally able to calm down using um, some um, guided meditation tapes that really helped her. And she eventually passed on the sixth try. So most of us experience kind of a boundary in our life where we're comfortable. Uh, we have physical comfort. You know, some of us might be comfortable um, walking. Some people, you know, uh, climb mountains. You know, we may have uh, uh, emotional boundaries where, um, you know, some of us are fine, um, you know, shopping, talking to the teller, uh, but we're, you know, really nervous uh, going to a party and, and socializing. Or emotional boundaries, you know, we, uh, we might really have trouble, you know, uh, with anger, where uh, we're afraid of our own anger, or different, you know, such a variety of things. But all of us live within a certain level that we're comfortable in. We're going along fine until something brings us to the edge of what we're comfortable with and pushes us beyond it. That's when fear kicks in. How we deal with that edge is is whether we're going to go into an unhealthy fear reaction or we're going to grow. So, for instance, if, um, you know, everything's going along well in life and we get sick 
and which is something that absolutely is not within our comfort zone. You know, we could react in a way that's really, um, you know, oh, poor me, and my life is ruined, and, and, you know, and go into a downward cycle. Or we can face the fact that, okay, here's this unwanted illness. What do I do with it? How can I make the best of it? How can I grow with it? I remember in the early days of AIDS, uh, this young man who had, you know, he, he had AIDS, and he said, uh, you know, after, after several months of it, you know, he, had a, he got very, very weak from it. He said, you know, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. He said, for the first time in my life, I'm appreciating the moment. It, it really always stuck in my mind. I mean, this is like from, you know, decades ago. Uh, but he was able to actually take his illness and really come to the present with it. It was something that before his life was so busy and just always forward-driven by anxiety and by kind of do-do-do that he had never been able to just settle and relax. So how we deal when things take us outside our comfort zone is whether we grow or whether we go into negative, uh, contracted state. Ezra Baida, Veda, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's a Zen teacher down in the San Diego area. So he said that negative emotions come from three basic fears. The first one is the fear of an unworthiness, that we're not good enough. You know, that, takes, that can take a lot of forms that we don't really realize. Like, for instance, a lot of people who think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a really confident person, you know, but they're afraid of failure. You know, so a lot of people, um, you know, are, some people respond to their fear of failure, they don't even try. Some people respond to their fear of failure, uh, staying up all night, work, overworking on something, overplanning, being stressed out. So people respond differently to these fears. The other thing, the fear of unworthiness, is our self-image. I know people who suffer a lot because they're having a bad hair day. You know, it sounds silly, you know, but you look at a teenager, you know, how much of their self-image can depend on one pimple, you know, so, so, or fear, you know, these things are how we're wired, it's, you know, they may seem silly sometimes, but we've been conditioned in this way by our culture, by our parents, by the, by our experiences. Our fear of our self-image is, 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 um, it's huge for a lot of us. You know, you're sitting, you know, I'm sitting up here, you know, maybe a thought arises. Oh, I did, you know, the thought that did arise is that, oh, well, I didn't notice that, you know, that I was supposed to pay attention to the interruption. I wasn't mindful of that. Uh, you know, and that just entered there, you know, but I just don't take it too seriously. You know, yeah, I sh- could have done that better, but, you know, not, not a big deal. But it's how we respond to that. I, or I could have really contracted and said, wow, you know, I'm teaching the Dharma here. I'm supposed to be aware of things like that, you know, when somebody get, wants to get my attention. Uh, so I could have reacted either way. So, uh, you know, I hold it lightly. So it's not that we need to get rid of our insecurities, but we can let them come to the light. Here they are. It's just an insecurity coming by. That's okay. And we can work with these things. We don't have to, you know, fix them. We don't have to fix ourselves. We can just bring light to them. One of the, you know, um, I don't know how many of you remember, or, or, I mean, he's probably still around, Tony Robbins. You know, he was a motivational speaker, you know, from the 70s, I guess. He was counseling all these people from the Fortune 500. 
And um, he told a story of, um, he was working with this one, one man from one of these companies who was like really unhappy in his life. At the time, you know, he was making $4 million a year and he was really upset because his competitor was making five. And it, it just totally shattered his self-image. You know, he was supposed to be number one. And, uh, and it didn't matter. Same thing, you've seen that with, with people who, who are athletes who compete, you know, uh, trying to get that gold medal. You know, it's like, oh, you just want, I only want the silver, you know, and they're upset. And they, you know, and they're like these incredible accomplishments, but it's not good enough because we hold some idea of how we should be. And whenever we hold these ideas of how we should be, uh, at some point, it isn't going to prop us up. The other fear, so the first one's the fear of unworthiness, which covers a whole, as I said, a, a big, big ballpark there. The next one is the fear of losing safety and control. You know, that's one of the big fears from people who are public speakers, you know. Uh, I don't know if any of you have experienced that initial fear the first time you're a public speaker of like butterflies in the stomach. You know, you're, you're kind of nervous and, you know, and you've got to speak to a room full of people and, and all, the, all these feelings that come up and, and you're afraid of losing control. Fear of the future. We can't control the future. We don't know what's going to happen. Fear of financial insecurity. All those, all those fears are fear of loss of control, loss of safety. It includes fear of um, the big issues such as loss, illness, and death. We can't control any of those things. And the last one is the fear of being alone or being disconnected, of abandonment. So the thing about these fears is that those fears happen to all of us. Those conditions happen to all of us. And when we try to make our happiness dependent on not having those things happen to us, it isn't going to work. So the practice, Buddhist practice, directly addresses finding or peace of mind or happiness in something that doesn't change, in something that doesn't, um, that, that we're not going to lose, that doesn't have to be a certain way. And the way we do that is by showing up to whatever's here and saying yes to it and looking at it and being with whatever is here. Generally, people don't like to be afraid. There's a few exceptions, but the main reason we have aversion to fear is because it's unpleasant. It doesn't feel good. So the tendency is to push it away. So in, in meditation, mindfulness practice, we turn towards the fear. We make the fear the object of our attention. Woody Allen you know, said it really quite well. He said, um, I don't like to be afraid. It scares me. <laughs> Some of us have also experienced uh, an interesting aspect of fear, and that's excitement. There's a really fine line between fear and excitement. How many of you like roller coaster rides, scary movies, uh, you know, uh, sports like skydiving or hang gliding? 
you know, there's this, there, the, there's this feeling when we get a little bit afraid, just afraid enough, where all these hormones are coursing in our bodies. They, they feel great. You know, so there's some pleasure that comes with that fear. There's a, and, and there's even um, uh, some studies showing that there can be a sexual uh, relationship to the fear and excitement. And uh, they did a study that, that I thought was really interesting. They had um, two bridges, about, I think, uh, was it 250, 250 foot drop? And they went like 500 feet, right? So it's a, it's a bridge about 500 feet across, 250 foot drop. And they had one bridge was really stable. You know, you could walk across and know nothing was going to happen. The other bridge just kind of swayed and, you know, and very unstable feeling. And so they had 33 young men, you know, two different groups of men, walk across the bridges. After they walked across the bridges, they had this very attractive female assistant do an intake of questions, you know, that's with the questions were totally unrelated to the bridge. You know, it was an imaginary study they were doing questions on. And at the end of answering the questions, they said, she, said, she gave them all her phone number and said, call me if you have any questions. <laughs> okay. Within a few days, two of the men from the stable bridge called her. Nine of the men from the other bridge <laughs> called. <laughs> There have been other studies that show that, that connection, so we're, we're wired in interesting ways. And we're all wired differently. Some of us don't like to be terrified, or we, we lose that, that, uh, the fun of that terror. Of, um, I used to love roller coasters when I was young. I don't know what happened, but that went away. <laughs> Mindfulness <clears throat> increases our capacity for both pain, fear, and for pleasure. When we bring our attention towards whatever shows up, we increase our ability to tolerate it. The more we're able to be with what's difficult, the more we're able to hold what feels good. With physical pain, um, you know, there's a, I don't know how many of you have heard of Dr. John Sarno. He's a rehabilitative specialist. He wrote a couple of books about this. But he's known for talking his patients out of their pain. He just talks to them. And a surprising amount of them, uh, have their pain goes away. Another uh, amount of them, it decreases quite a bit and becomes more, much more manageable. Many years ago, um, I used to be a chiropractor. It, I've, I noticed that I, you know, myself that pe- patients would come in, and just by explaining to them what was wrong, sometimes the pain would go away because they would splint against their fear. Like you'd get somebody with a back strain, the first time they had a back strain, and they'd be so afraid, so, so scared, that they would just tighten, and the tightening, holding that tightening hour after hour after hour, uh, actually caused pain. And when they said, oh, I don't have to worry, they relaxed, and the pain cleared up. Uh, so there wasn't much for me to do, it was just you know, let, let, them, um, let them get well. So you know, with sudden threats or accidents, what we sometimes do is we contract. We might protect our heads. We might protect our abdomen. With emotional things that can happen, you know, we, we might just contract and try to get small. So depending on, the, on our life experience, we often have physical patterns of protection. 
And it's just part of the fear response that protects us from injury. And, but it's often counterproductive. And one of the things that shows up sometimes when we meditate, how many of you have ever sat there peacefully and been grabbed by some pain, you have no idea where it came from, you give it attention, it goes away. What was that? What was that? Somebody came by and psychically hit you, you know? But, but often that's what happens. Some of these very deep habitual tensions begin to release. So pain can arise uh, and it can go away. Same thing, fear can arise and it can go away. And our job is not to figure it out, but to just turn to it. Uh, this is this is pain coming up now. This is fear coming up now. I like to, I've brought, I've, if you've heard me speak, I've brought this up a couple of other times before, but it's one of my uh, most useful tools in working with fear, and it's the RAIN formula. How many of you are familiar with that, with the RAIN formula? So quite a number of you. Um, it's basically a, uh, just a shortcut of how to work with difficult emotions when they arise. You know, if you don't have any natural tools, it's just a way of knowing how to address it. Sometimes afflictive emotions can be very overwhelming to us. So the first one, and I'll repeat this, so, so don't worry about remembering it. Rain, okay? So the first thing is to, re- to recognize what's happening. For instance, uh, when I was a teenager, I, uh, I hitchhiked around alone a lot, and I thought I was fearless. You know, I thought, hey, you know, nothing can happen to me. I'm fearless, you know. And what I didn't really recognize or want to recognize was that I was really scared of uh, looking stupid, of, um, you know, what my friends would think, and all these other fears, you know. But uh, I just didn't even see them because, you know, I, I tried, my self-image was of, of being fearless. And so recognizing when fear is present is the first thing. You can't work with something you don't recognize. I know people who've been very adventurous in the world. You know, they, they'll do all sorts of, you know, fly, fly off cliffs, do all sorts of crazy things, you know, and, um, you know, travel in really exotic, dangerous places, but they might be afraid of intimacy. So we have to look at our fears. I remember um, uh, one of my teachers, you know, he said, uh, he was in a long retreat, you know, and, and he just, there was just such a, something was wrong. He, he had no idea what was wrong. But as he spent more and more time with it, he finally realized that he was lonely. And it just took, a, it took him days to see it. You know, he just could feel something was wrong. So some of our fears, you know, we, we kind of shove them down with our self-images and our, our armoring and protections. Uh, so the first step is to recognize the second step is to accept. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to feel whatever it is we feel. To say yes to it, to turn to it instead of resist it. And unless we do that, unless we accept it, it's pretty hard to get to know it. If, the, if there's, you can't investigate something that you think shouldn't be there. And which brings us to the third thing. So you recognize it. Okay, this is fear. You accept it, it's okay that it's here, and now you investigate it. And the easiest way to bring your attention to fear is in the body. So if it's a big fear, I mean, you don't want to do this the moment that you have to get out of the fire, by the way, you know. <laughs> uh, this is what you do after, or, or, or with other types of more chronic fears. 
but when we're afraid, the body's doing certain things, you know, and, and we're all a little bit different, you know, and each time we're afraid it might be different. So you go to the body that grounds you. And one of the things that it does when you do that, it, it gives you a little bit, just by paying attention to fear, it gives you a little more objectivity. You're not so, not so entangled in it. It gives you a little bit of respite from the fear because now you're looking at it. You're doing something a little bit different. It automatically changes it. Being mindful of fear already changes it. You, you don't have to be afraid of it. You can approach it. And then you may notice that there are two very different things, the physical sensations of fear and the mental part of the fear. Now, can you... Get it, think in your mind what the flavor of fear is in your mind. You recognize it. You know the difference in your mind between fear or anger, right? All of you know the difference? What it feels like in the mind when you're afraid? Um, and that's very different than the way the body feels. They happen at the same time, but the reason, one of the reasons it's so important to know is that when fear arises, it as I said, it has a cascade of hormones that circulate through the body, over 30 hormones in, in strong fear. And it takes time for them to circulate and to get out of your system. It just it comes much quicker than it goes. And so let's say you were scared. Um, the easiest example for me to see it is in an almost car accident. You know, you put on the brakes and you're safe. You know, but your heart's still beating, right? I mean, I, I've never been calm when that's happened. You know, my heart's beating really fast. You know, my eyes are still big. Um, and it takes time to quiet. But my mind already knows it's safe. It might take me like a, a couple of minutes before my body really settles. And the reason it's important to know the difference is that sometimes we get afraid of our fear, especially if it's some mental fear or something that we think we shouldn't be afraid of. And, and we go, okay, I'm not afraid, but I am afraid. So what am I afraid of? And then people get afraid of their fear, and it causes a panic attack or just a chronic uh, major tension. Uh, so learning to see that difference and separating those can be really helpful. And then the last part of the rate formula, the N, so we've got recognize, accept, investigate, mainly in the body, and it's not personal. And one of the easiest ways to, to really touch that it's not personal is to refer to fear as this is fear that just showed up. It's not I am afraid. This is fear. This is what fear is like. It's not a personal event. It's something that conditions brought it and conditions take it away. And all we're doing is we're giving it the condition of paying attention to it. And by paying attention to it, we can develop a m much more ease with fear. And, it can be, and over time, a lot of unnecessary fears can be released just by paying attention to them, by noticing them, by letting them be. So this is fear. This is what fear is like. That's the, Ajahn Sumedha always used to say, this is what fear is like, this is what anger is like. You know, I love that. You know, it's just a way of, of yeah, yeah, that's, you know, it's like I'm looking at it over there. You know, it's very helpful. Sometimes fear is overwhelming. And when it's overwhelming, we don't want to,
force ourselves to deal with it all at once. It's okay to deal with fear in little bits, little pieces. Like, for instance, people who have phobias, you know, one of the uh, methods that's very helpful for phobias is uh, what they call exposure. And, for instance, let's say you're terrified of snakes, you know, and you have to, uh, you know, be involved in something where you have to be near snakes. Uh, you might start by walking into the room where the snakes are in their, you know, glass uh, aquarium, and uh, just that, that's enough. And then you go, oh, okay, that's okay. You know, and maybe next time you step one foot into the room. So the same thing with our internal fears. You know, I've had fears come up in meditation on, on a long retreat that just felt too strong to deal with. And so I touched them a little bit, and I said, okay, I'm going back to the breath. And then the next time they showed up, I stayed with a little longer and a little longer. You know, so that every time we get exposed to it, if we're open to looking at it, even for a moment, it gets a little bit easier, a little easier. If fear is overwhelming, um, for instance, I had a, uh, someone I worked with, he used to have um, panic attacks if he was in, in, in close spaces, and the only way he could get to work was by taking the bus. And so it was like really, he was on disability for a while, he couldn't, he couldn't get to work. And so we finally worked with him with bringing, he, he, did, he was a meditator, uh, but still he couldn't work with, the, with being inside this closed space. And so we had him take his attention and put it on his feet. And he had tried putting his attention on the breath, but it was too, he could feel his heart beating too fast, you know, and it made him more afraid. But just by moving his attention to his feet, he was able to uh, settle down enough to be able to, to work with this. So sometimes, it's, if it's overwhelming, we need to withdraw our attention from the fear and bring it to something safe, which might be the breath, might be the other parts of the body. Uh, there are many techniques, and you know, and um, and we're going to pretty much end in a, you know very shortly. So, but just that there's ways to work with this. You know, there's many ways to work with this. When I, the last thing I want to leave you with, you know, is that one of the things that I think in my personal life that has been um, the most helpful is to say yes to what's scary. And to, you know, and for some people, including me at, at one point, it felt scary just to eat alone in a restaurant, just by myself, like there was something wrong, you know. And so stretching ourselves and the things that, uh, you know, they're actually pretty safe to do that, you know, but that just stretches a little bit and having a habit of always being, playing with our edges, you know, it brings a lot of vitality and energy in our lives when we do that. And it it opens a world. If we're always trying to stay comfortable, we close our world up. We just keep shrinking it and shrinking it, trying to stay safe. And so by opening up, I mean, I remember my first 10-day retreat, it was like, I, you know, I was like, really? Uh, I, I was scared. You know, this is really strange to me to do this. I, uh, I, kinda, I did my first 10-day retreat before I really uh, had a meditation practice. You know, so it's like quite a stretch, you know. So, uh, but it, it was great. It was one of the best things I'd ever done. Uh, but it definitely was not easy getting myself to do it. <laughs> but just all along, you know, just playing with those edges of her comfort, I think, is one of the most helpful things to do to work with fear.
a lot of Buddhist practitioners, uh, when they start really contemplating on the big issues of old age, sickness, and death, uh, they choose to volunteer in hospice work to spend time with those who are uh, ill or dying. And uh, everyone I know who has done that, you know, has really grown a lot from that experience. Regularly putting ourselves in situations that stretch us a little bit, we often find that it's not as bad as we thought, you know, that our anticipation is, is worse than the actual doing of the thing. And as Mark Twain uh, said, is, uh, some of the worst things in my life never happened. So I just want to end with a Rumi quote, you know, that famous Buddhist poet, right? Um, uh, so, run from what's comfortable. Forget safety. Live where you fear to live. Destroy your reputation. Be notorious. I have tried prudent planning long enough. From now on, I'll be mad. Thank you.